it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. G'day beer lovers, I'm Radio Brews News co-host Pete Mitchum and thanks to Cryer Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation, our weekly catch-up with the people who are making the modern beer world such a colourful landscape. In this series, we go beneath the branding to get to the business basics, the marketing tips and tricks, and most importantly, the stories that paint the often unseen picture behind the profile pics of the people who make the beers we know and love to share. Now, for many decades, the only outer suburban watering holes were spacious but drafty and rather soulless pokey-slash-bistro-slash-pub-tab-style venues, and while catering well to their clientele, never really achieved success in attracting families and those wanting more than just mainstream lagers and big-screen sports. Today the landscape is changing with the addition of small family-owned and run brew pubs dotted across our major cities. In addition, these venues are increasingly popping up outside of the cool and trendy inner-city postcodes. One such newcomer is Bojack Brewing in Melbourne's outer southeast. Tucked away from the main drag but easily accessible, Bojack is making its mark and showing that an honest beer and food offering paired with a welcoming indoor and outdoor space will grow an appreciative local following. Run by a young couple with a young family from whom the brewery derives its name, Bojack Brewing shows that with the right kit, the right setup and the right amount of hard work, a small suburban brew pub can be a sustainable model. I caught up with Dale and Sue Messina from Bojack Brewing as they shared their origin story, the thoughts behind the planning and execution of their dream and their plans for the future. It's a wide-ranging chat and a good listen for those seeking a great family-friendly venue in the Burbs and for those thinking that they too might want to join the growing list of small independent breweries in Australia. Oh, and please excuse the edited interruptions as plenty of loyal regulars popped in to collect takeaways and some contractors were uh, adding solar panels to the roof. Enjoy the conversation. Dale and Sue from Bojack Brewing, thanks very much for joining us on Beer is a Conversation. Thanks for having us, Pete. Thank you. Now, um, here we are in sunny... Now, we're Dandenong proper, really, aren't we? Uh, I, I think Dandenong South has become the new Marrickville um, as far as the outer eastern suburb, southeastern suburbs of Melbourne go for a concentration of really good breweries. It's probably unfair to say that we're rivalling Marrickville yet, but I'm, I'm, it's a start. How did you guys uh, choose this as the, uh, the destination for Bojack Brewing? My whole uh, working life, I've uh, worked in Dandenong, so I've uh, worked in a family construction business, uh, mainly structural steel, which was uh, started in Dandenong in the 80s. So, um, well, actually, next door, uh, I was worked there for 10 to 15 years with the brothers and an old man. So um, we had this building here in Dandenong, um, we were just using it for storage. So I thought um, I sort of had enough of working into the, in the family business. I had a passion for brewing, um, got together with my family and uh, put the idea across to them and uh, we decided to uh, open a brewery here. The cynic would say, would suggest that maybe the folks were looking for uh, to move you out of the family business and into something, a project of your own, but was it, was it more just, you've got a passion for it, let's help you out with it? I, got, I think I sort of got pushed into the family business. Um, wasn't really my passion. I sort of went out, got out of uh, school, actually went overseas and played tennis for a while. That sort of didn't work out. Came back, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, old man and brother sort of pushed me to go and do some engineering. Did that, come back and work in the business. And then 
I just, yeah, just no passion there. So the old, one day the old man just come to me and goes, what do you want to do? I can see you, you don't like this. What do you want to do? So I've already been brewing for seven, seven or odd years at home and um, took that pretty seriously, like competitions, all that sort of stuff. So um, he goes, come back to me with what you want to do. And, yeah, within a week I said, this is what I want to do. Didn't even think of doing it here, but, um, yeah, I just we had all the utilities here, everything. So we thought, give it a crack here. And before we move on to Bojack itself and, and how you've, you've got it started, where did the passion for home brewing start? Like, was the, the Cooper's kit or did you start as an all-grain brewer? Or oh, It's a story you've heard a hundred times. I was oh, mid, mid to late 20s, so you got me a homebrew kit for my birthday um, and then, yeah, just spiralled from there. So always loved craft beer, had a kegerator and all that at home, so I'd go to breweries and get kegs off them and have that on tap, on tap and mates would come around and watch the footy and that sort of stuff. So where were your local breweries and were any of those, uh, I guess, inspiration for Bojack? So our lo- we live in Chelsea, so about 15, 20 minutes away. Um, so local breweries, Bo Rocker, we had Bad Shepherd not far. Um, so yeah, these sort of breweries, um, Two Brothers, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, so we would, most Sundays we'd visit breweries with the, with the kids and sort of the brew pub model and like that so that's what we've uh, done here and so did that influence I guess how Bojack operates because the one thing the feedback um, that I hear about Bojack is it's one of that new breed of, of brew pub in that a it's a brew pub not a production brewery that kind of has a bit of a cellar door but also that it's very much family friendly I think for us on a Sunday when we would go, we would sort of compromise with the kids and say, we'll take you to a park and then we're going to go have lunch and a few beers. Um, So to us, it was sort of, we found it was a missing link in some of the breweries. We found that it wasn't looked after um, and the kids aspect, I'm a firm believer that kids need to eat healthy food um, and it shouldn't be, you know, burgers and fries and things. I think there's plenty of other fast food places that look after that. Um, but we just found that there was a bit of a gap with it. So for us to open a brew bar that was family friendly, it also meant that people would stay a bit longer. Um, they weren't worried about being on devices and things necessarily. That's up to them. But um, we have games and we have a good kids menu that is quality food. Um, you know, colouring, things that will entertain the kids to a, an extent as well. And I think it was missing, it was certainly missing in this area um, and it's been embraced in this area from the locals and, and anyone that comes, they're quite surprised that we have what we have. Um, and I, I think that's important. And I think it's important um, for parents that just want a bit of downtime, um, that the kids are amused so they'll stay a little bit longer because they're not you know, they're not, they're not pulling their hair out. That's right. They're not annoying them. So, yeah. um, now the name, no surprise. Now the name comes from the a, a combination of the two children's names. Two things. How did you come about the spelling? And most importantly, is Bo really proud and annoyed that you named a brewery after me, but you couldn't even spell my name properly? I think um, for us. When Dale was doing homebrewing, he sort of got to the point where he needed a name or wanted to name his competition beers as such or run it under a name. Um, and we came up with a few different combinations, but I, mean, I think you really put the letters together and worked out the spelling. Yeah, it was just because um, Jack and Bo, Jack's the older boy, Bo's the younger one, um, sort of messed around with the words. Jack, Bo didn't sound right. Bo, Jack sounded right, but if I spelled it the right way, 
still didn't look right, so I just sort of manipulated the words. And well, interestingly, because I, 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 it would have come out as sort of perhaps faux French or like trying to be perhaps a little bit more highbrow. And as I was driving here today using Google Maps, the lady on Google Maps, because I think because there's a capital J in the centre, it just completely messed with it. So it came out as Beaujolais Brewing. So did you, did you look into, like, um, just in terms of, you know, trap for young players, people who are, because a lot of people are listening to these uh, beer as a conversation and they get inspired by the, the stories that they hear. Did you go through, you know, uh, trademark, go through, like, Google Translate to make sure there wasn't any, you know, anything wrong with the name or did you just kind of... No, I didn't really do it. <laughs> I checked there was no, uh, no other businesses with that name, but, um, yeah pretty much just ran with it so I think Bojack Horseman has come up which (laughs) it's a bit early before our time of Bojack Horseman but people have asked is that you know have you named it is it from Russia or some you know a different Serbian Serbian, um and and yeah is anything to do with the Bojack Horseman and I'm like huh (laughs) you know way before our time Mm. I think which leads me into one of my I guess my pet loves is is why why do breweries go where they where they go um and you've got sort of I guess particularly with the new age, if you like, of, of modern craft or independent breweries, it's very much about the, the cool inner city location and the laneways and the, you know, cobbled streets and, and all that sort of thing. Or you've got Bridge Road Brewers, for example, or Red Hill, where it's a more, I guess, a regional sort of a destination sort of area. Um, we're now seeing more, and, and again, Dandenong's a great example with, with Brick Lane, with Dainton, with Kaiju uh, Exit, and there's one I'm missing... That'll come to me, um, and you guys, of course, where it's out in the suburbs where we haven't really been blessed with a lot of choice, particularly for, for brew pubs. It's been more, oh, it's in an industrial estate, so you know, it's trucks in and out, and it's great for a production venue, but it's not so much for, for that hospitality side of things. Assuming that you weren't offered the opportunity to be here through the family business, would you have chosen something like this, and how do you think it affects? the way you that the brand is portrayed to your customers base it definitely would open somewhere in a city but cost was the main factor so um we definitely don't get the passing crowd that somewhere in collingwood or brunswick would get so it's been a slow build for us to get the numbers through the door which it's growing all the time um but uh yeah hindsight if you had all the money in the world you'd do it straight in collingwood but um we live around here, so I didn't want to be too far from where we are. Um, and I saw there was nothing really in this area. With, like, there's a lot of there's a few breweries here now, but none of them really have a tap room where you can go and have a beer after work. So that's what we're finding here: that a lot of blue collar guys come in here and have a beer after work on a Thursday and Friday, and uh, grab a four pack and go home. Yeah. Also, I think there's I don't want to say you know lower expectations, but I think there's a, a it's easier to welcome your locals in, no, no matter where you are. And I've got to say, like, if you tilt your head and squint your eyes the right way, looking at your artwork, that's not out of place in a Marrickville, East Brunswick, you know, that, that kind of, that nice inner city vibe. But you've done it really well so that it doesn't look, you know, pardon the pun, but it doesn't look painted on. It looks like it's meant to be here. Yep. The other aspect to it was when we started, it was a big enough risk for us both as it was. We both quit our jobs. Um, and to open in a venue or in a, a warehouse somewhere else um, with cost of rent and not having any idea of how... We, you hear so many stories about other breweries of the council um, were against them um, or the locals were against them or whatever it may be, but um, 
I think for us to open here and, and know that we could do modifications and do changes while we waited for the liquor licence to come through, instead of being somewhere and finding that that liquor licence wasn't coming through, it was going to cost more money, more rent. I think that was certainly, for our first venue as such, mm. it, this was very inviting in that regard because it meant that we could do things without having that extra or additional cost or worry that we might not get through. And in terms of lessons learned, did you have um, a consultant or anyone sort of helping you out or did you use references or, or uh, I don't know, bend the ear of other brewers or did you just kind of fumble through making it up as you went along in terms of, you know, how do you do a development application or how do you approach council or who do I need to speak to about this? Uh, I worked with a town planner from day dot, so... Um, as I had the construction, I did a lot of AutoCAD and all that sort of stuff, so I was able to cut some costs there and do all the drawings myself to go through um, cancel and that. But the yeah, town planner had worked with a few other breweries already. He'd worked with, I think, Boat Rocker for his new... Two rupees Two well. rupees down yeah. in Clayton now. Um, so he sort of knew what was going on with breweries and cancels, so... Um, it certainly makes a, a big difference. So speaking to brewers where if you're the first kid on the block... Um, it's either feast or famine. Um, I know there's one where the council had no idea what they were supposed to do, so granted the brewery to open under a, uh, a restaurant, a cafe licence. And then there's others who, oh, no, you've got to tick this box and you've got to ask for permission for this, and, and it's a, a real sort of chore. So you guys are probably, I guess, lucky. Was there any restriction on, or was it up to you guys, how just a production brewery with a, you know, a tap room or... Was it important to have the, the hospitality aspect and, and how did that go in terms of council approval? We also, in addition to the town planner, we also had meetings right from the start with Dandenong, Greater Dandenong City Council, just to identify what issues they would flag with us straight up. Um, and car parking was certainly an issue, um, just for the numbers, which I don't think is a uh, unusual scenario. Um, but I think the food aspect was important for us because... We didn't want to become a production brewery. We wanted to be places that we wanted to visit um, or had visited, um, again, whilst it was that family-friendly aspect. So um, it was important to work with the council and make sure that, not necessarily that you have them on side, but that there's no surprises and that there's no um, issues that come out when you're already three-quarters of the way through the application. And I think that was important also with the town planner that we had identified already from that first initial meeting what the problems would be so that he knew going into it how he could help, I guess. Dale, talk us through uh, you're jumping from home brewer to pro brewer. How did you go about working out, first of all, what system you wanted and then talk us through how happy you are with what you decided on? Um, so, yeah, so I went with a 500-litre uh, all-in-one uh, system um, I didn't want to start too big as I'm coming from the homebrew background, so I wanted to start small but have enough there so I didn't outgrow it too quick. Um, yeah, so 500 litre, we got uh, four, we started with four seven and a half heck tanks, um, which is perfect for the bar, we're keeping up keg wires and all that. Um, we started packaging can about May last year, so we had to uh, get a couple more tanks, which I was lucky to get a couple of second-hand 12-heck tanks. So um, size-wise, I'd pretty much I'd do the same again, I'd say. It's starting to get pretty straining now, brewing a lot just to uh, uh, keep the flow with everything. But, um, yeah, if I did it all again, I'd probably start the same size. Yep. Yeah. And what sort of system is it? Uh, it's a German Braumeister, so it's pretty much the same as a the little homebrew ones you see around. Um, I brewed on the one at Grain and Grape a few times, so I felt comfortable with it. I wanted something I could just 
turn it on and get straight into it. Uh, felt comfortable with it, so um, yeah, I decided to go with that. The first lot of brews for Brewmanity for their social beast um, yep. were done on a, a very uh, the same system, I think, yeah, yeah, at at a grain and grape. A few of them around Melbourne now, so I think uh, Westside Ale Works, uh, Inner North, uh, there's one up in Shepparton Brewery now, so yeah, there's a few of them floating around, so yeah. yeah. So 18 months down the track, you mentioned you know you didn't want to start on on something too big. I guess the most common uh, lament from brewers who two or three years down the track the, the first thing they say is I wish I'd gone bigger but I looked at that system and I thought there's no way we can ever brew enough or sell enough beer that I could make on that whereas then it's all of a sudden we're having to double brew and you know extra shifts and all that sort of thing would you would you change anything now probably not because at the start it was just a slow build so I was probably only brewing once or twice a week at the start but now it's sort of gone to three four so um yeah I'd probably still stick with the same I wanted sort of an organic growth and don't go too big too quick so yeah I'd probably stick with the same. And a fun bit of trivia because I've just realised now that apart from the old Stockade Brewery which then became Matilda Bay's Garage Brewery in Dandenong I reckon the first of the the small independent craft breweries in Dandenong might have been Arctic Fox way back in the day and that's where you got the new tanks yeah so um yeah, arctic fox i think closed up uh, a couple of years ago but his tanks are over there still just probably about not even a kilometer away so um all his kit went on Grays online auction late last year so i was lucky to snap up a couple of tanks there and some other bits of equipment so um yeah it's been it's been good sometimes luck is all in the timing yeah, that's it. um now in terms of the canning uh are you canning yourself or are you getting a, a mobile canner in uh, we started on a, the manual cask system from Canada, so we got one of them, um, quickly outgrew that. Uh, the marriage wasn't going as well on that thing. <laughs> um, so uh, we just sold that last week to another brewery, um, and we've been using East Coast for the last uh, six, six or so months. So, yeah, so they come in once a month, and we bang out a couple of tanks. So. And what, what format are you using? 330, 375? Uh, 375 can. So, um, yeah. So, uh, yesterday we just placed an order on our, our own machine, which should come sort of late September, I'd say. So, yeah, exciting. At what point do you outgrow where you are now? Because at the moment, it's, it's great. You know, 18 months since you've opened the doors, and I look out there now and I go, there's a space for everything and everything is in its place and it's beautiful and clean. And I know you didn't do that just for because Bruce News is turning up. But very quickly, you know, you add the canning machine, you add a few more things. At what point do you say, okay, now we need to maybe, you know, tap the old man on the shoulder and say, eh, next door's not going so well. How about, can I have that space as well? Yeah, we've had this discussion a few times, what we want to do in the future. Look, we're probably more leaning towards if we had another bar venue somewhere else than go bigger. So um, if we had, like, there's still plenty of room out there for more tanks and height. We've got plenty of height, so... Um, yeah, if we had another venue where this brewery could supply all the, the beer there, it's probably the way we'd probably look at going forward. Yeah. And before we forget, because it's just come to me now, so the area that we're in, this is what we're going to talk about, it's a really interesting one because it's very close to residential, it's very close to industrial, semi-industrial, but it's neither of each. It's, it's actually an interesting sort of area where you're not in an industrial estate as such, but you're also not... I guess, too close to residential that noise, traffic, people leaving late or anything like that would be uh, an effect. How, how have you found that that has affected? Like, where, where do your regulars come from? Uh, oh, we get a whole yeah, mixed. So we're open Thursdays through to Sundays. So we normally find Thursdays and Fridays we get the, 
the general working community here that come in after work drinks and lunch on a Friday. And then sort of from Friday night onwards, we get the the local surrounding suburbs and then you've got the, the beer lovers that come from wherever they want to come from to come for a, a day out. So um, we seem to get yeah, a very wide variety of people. Um, that's why you, you see on our beer list, we've got something for everyone as well. Going from like your cultures all the way to your hazy IPA, so yeah, scouts, scouts there. So, um, but I think we also get because of being in that industrial commercial sort of area, you get people that are driving past as well, so they'll pop in and get takeaways. So we've also got that audience that you know um, you don't you don't expect, I guess, on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday. They're driving past because they've done a job somewhere local. Um, they may look it up. We've had people that have you know, looked up breweries in this area because that's where they're going before they go to their next job and they'll stop in and have lunch on a Friday or grab, again, grab some takeaways. And shout out to the Crafty Pint Brewery Directory. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Even Brews News, we use it. Yeah. Um, but I think when we first looked at opening, um, as bad as it may sound, we didn't really look um, to the right, which was such a big residential area. I think we were always sort of looking, well, I certainly was, looking to the left down, you know, Chelt Road and all the apartments down there. But then the more that you got to know your local clientele um, and your customers by name and things like that, and they kept coming back, you sort of say, oh, whereabouts do you, where are you? And they're like, oh, just over the railway, just that way. And there's so many families out there um, that we just didn't, I guess, without realising, we just didn't mm. take into consideration that they would be, our, you know, one of our regular people. And it shows too how the value of word of mouth is far better than any advertising that you can you can pay for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, a function speaks a thousand words in that regard because you'll have, obviously pre-COVID, you'd have 70 to 80 people that would be here. Uh, one of them is a local and all the rest of them are people that had no idea that you were even here. Well, that's 70 new people that potentially you've got who may enjoy the food, may enjoy the beer, may enjoy both, who knows. Um, but that's a whole other uh, area that opens up for you. So pre and then obviously post-COVID, what's your um, capacity here? Uh, so we've got, uh, well, uh, pre-COVID, um, we're licensed for 100, but post-COVID, we're at 20 at the moment, obviously with the four square metre, and given measurements, even with the new restrictions that come in as of the 22nd of June, um, yes, that will uh, increase us by five, which is not ideal at all, to be honest. Um, and then you take away the food aspect as well because that's, that's what keeps us going um, with the food and, and it allows you to have people that are here for longer than a, you know, a couple of beers. Um, so things will change again. It's an ever-changing landscape which we just have to keep up with just like everybody else. If it was summer or a day like today, it would be nice to sit outside and we can do 10 outside. But, um, yeah, most or well, the majority of the winter night, it's all winter days, are cold and windy and wet. So, And I can imagine there's been plenty of business conversations between the two of you in terms of, you know, at what point it's feasible to open, but it's important to open to be that, I guess, that beacon, you know, good, our local is, is has reopened. How did you go about, I guess, working out, you know, at what point do we do we open? Well, we'd sort of heard rumours through hospitality that we would get four weeks' notice. So we'd sort of run down all our kegs um, or run down some of the more hazy ones like Calypso and things. We did a bit of a deal with that. Um, and we were really focused, like many breweries at the moment, focused on packaged and canned beer. Um, so then when we got the announcement that it would be two weeks, there was a little bit of panic, to say the least. Um, you know, it was sort of along the lines of, but I thought it was going to be four. Well, I don't know. I'm just, you know, going with what I heard. So... 
um, Dale's, uh, as he's already talked, brewed you know four times um, or a couple of in a couple of weeks, doing four times each week, just to try and get the stock back up. I know some breweries haven't been able to open or have decided not to because they're in exactly the same position, had no keg beer. We've got a couple of guest taps, which have probably saved us um, in the last couple of weeks, just to make sure that we've always got those twelve taps available. Is that something you've just done, or or did you have guest taps on? Before pre pre COVID, no, we had um, uh, kaiju cider. We've always had that on tap, um, and um, just before COVID, we got bad shepherds hazelnut brown ale, and we got exits uh, milk stout. Um, but then we closed, so that was just sort of sitting there a little bit. Um, we were selling the crowlers, being the one liter cans. Um, we didn't need to ever have the guest taps. It was really only because come February, Dale, we hadn't even sort of moved our mind to dark beers have yeah we? we'd run out of all our dark beers early in the years and i didn't have any time to brew any so that's why we got the two guest taps so um but we're yeah. all stocked up now with porter and stout <laughs> so <laughs> no offense to bad shepherd and exit but they'll be uh, they'll be taken off once they're thanks ready. thanks for your help but but, but thanks anyway yeah um now that brings me to my next question um in terms of your i guess a portfolio um, there's obviously beers that you brewed as a home brewer. There's the ones that are, I guess are your favourites, the ones that you've got, you know, trophies on the mantelpiece from your homebrew comps and, and that sort of thing. Um, but then you've, it's one thing to say, I'm going to brew beers that I like, which is fine if you're the one paying for them all. But when you've got to then, I guess, extend the arm, you know, the, the, the hand of friendship to Joe Public, how do you go about working out what sort of beers, what, what your range is and what you're seen as? As soon as we knew we were going to open a brewery, we knew we had to have a wide range of beers. You can't just sort of pigeonhole yourself and say, I'm going to make what I want to drink because that, that's just not going to work. So, um, yeah, from day dot, I sort of had a list in mind and I've sort of stuck with that now. We sort of normally have four or five that will stay around all the time. So it's starting from a, a knockoff draft, which is a German-style Kolsch, and then we've got double IPAs and all that sort of stuff. So, um I think it's moving with the seasons as well, so ensuring that you've got something for each of the seasons, but also looking at what the trends are. You know, I don't think, I'm not sure when, um, but I know, hazies just seem to not go away. Um, seems to be just so popular. Um, it's gone to obviously double hazies, and now you can see the movement of, um, you know, pastry stouts and things like that that have started, and, and there was obviously the sour craze as well. Um, so I think it's important to have something to show your ability in that um, beer style as well um, but as Dale said we've always had something for everyone we put those 12 taps in so that we could have that range um, and we try to stick to make sure that we have something for everyone so that when you get a tasting paddle you're not getting three pale ales and and the mm. likes of that regard. Yep. Yep. How have you seen I guess um, and, and again be, I'm specifically couching this question because we're in if you like a, an emerging beer landscape it's not a sophisticated, knowledgeable, you know, everyone's got untapped and, and, and are just trying to, you know, collect the full set. Do you find people coming in asking for a, a beer by a particular style or I want something that tastes like, you know, insert name here? How are, how are you going? How, how, what's the feedback from the, from the customers? I don't, I don't think we've had anyone that really says that. They might say, oh, what about doing a wit beer or something similar? I really like wit beers. Um, but the majority of times that someone says that they like a particular beer style, you can usually, with our range, you can move them on to something that, um, you know, we don't have a straight lager, but we've got the Pilsner um, and things along those lines. Um, as I said, I think it's more just ensuring that you've got that range all the time. Yeah, I mean, we use the... 
the robo brew to be able to do a small 50 litre batch so that we can, I guess, use Test the, the public on <laughs> as a guinea pig. Um, we did recently spiked in the fall, which was the collab with that spirited lot. Um, and before doing that, Dale did the American Amber Ale, which is now in the fall, which we've got on tap. So that was just a small 50 litre. I think the plan is to do a few more just to see how they go. Yeah. We had a double hazy, which was Helter Skelter. And we did that as a trial batch and we ended up making that our tap room series and it just, yeah, flew off the shelves in that regard. Um, people were still saying in the bar, when are you bringing in a, another double? So that's what we've done. We've done Through the Fog, which is another double hazy. Um, and judging by the sales already, like it's, you know, just in a day how well it's sold. So it's certainly something that people wanted um, and enjoy. And Calypso is certainly one of those beers that seems to be our most popular um, and is becoming quite well known. So I think if Dale can do that hazy IPA um, well, then people might reflect and think, well, what's he going to do with a double, I guess? Yeah. And Dale, does the smaller system, I guess, give you that freedom, the agility, if you like, um, to be able to not bend to the whims of the public, but as something new comes along, you're not committing, if you like, a, a larger batch or, or a longer brew time to do it? Does that influence, do you think, um, I guess, your ability to, to think on the run? Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. It's perfect. You can, you've got a little, an idea, it comes in your head, you can uh, bang out a brewery quickly on a Friday Arvo and play around play around with it and test it out and chuck it on the, on the taps here and see how people go with it. So um, yeah, I reckon it's perfect. Does everything go through the, the pilot system or is that just for, uh, you know, we're just not sure on, on how to brew this or... Yeah, it's mainly beers that I sort of don't have much uh, history in brewing before. I'd do it on the pilot. If it's something I'm pretty confident, I'll just go straight into the uh, into the 500 litre batch. So, yeah. Now we, um, this is the bit I love doing, which is where we polish the crystal ball. And I'm going to start off with a question that um, I ask because I'm always intrigued. And I think our listeners really are interested in the answer. But it's also something that a lot of people don't think about. And I don't want, you know, don't want to make it seem Sorry. like it's, yeah, you know, Pete the Doomsday or anything. But what's the exit strategy for Bojack? Oh, I don't think we've Gosh, got an exit strategy. We haven't strategy. got an exit strategy. We both look at each other, huh? What? What exit strategy? Oh, I'd yeah. hope the, the boys would uh, take over later down the track. But, yeah, we haven't really thought about it. Yeah, and, I mean, and look, that's the, that's the correct answer. A lot of people, I think, don't. Uh, it's, it's not something that, uh, I guess, is front of mind um, because you sort of think, well, we're husband and wife, we're family, it's a family business, we've got the two boys, surely yeah, just one day they'll, they'll sort of take it over. Um, it's probably more important, I guess, where it's two mates who you know, were business partners or, or something like that because at the end of the day, when you don't have that family bond, sometimes you, know, you don't get the opportunity to talk through things when they're little and they become bigger things and then all of a sudden you're looking at, okay, well, how do we divide up the business and that sort of thing. So it's just... Isn't, as that, I, marriage? Isn't that exactly what marriage can be? <laughs> it is, and that gives you a lot, more, uh, a lot more tools in the toolbox, I think, to, to fix the little problems. With, you, know, if you fix the squeaky wheel before it uh, you know, sort of becomes a major... Uh, sort of issue um, and then the other thing polishing the crystal ball where I come back here obviously sooner than that but let's say in five years time uh, what's Bojack Brewing look like? Well we'd hope to have another little bar I guess um, that doesn't have the pressure and the council restrictions of what does when you have to brew and being in a particular um, you know building and land and, and whatnot around you but yeah I think a, another little bar somewhere yeah. um, whether it's 
in a city, whether it's in the suburbs, um, somewhere that hasn't been discovered, just like Dandenong really wasn't as far as the tap room was concerned. I'm not sure. We've got to, we'll have a new canning machine. We'll have a few new mm. tanks by then. Um, that's just this year. I can't even think past this at the moment. Come on, Sue. It, like, you know, commit to it now. Are we still going to be drinking hazies? Um, look, it's so my like favourite beer style. Cause it's definitely something that I'm happy to continue with. Um, but who knows? I mean, no one would have ever thought something like a, a sour beer or um, a, a pastry stout would ever come out of anything. Um, so it's just... That's, I guess, the best thing about being in this industry. It's always changing. There's always something new that will come up and someone will create. Um, even just to think of how hazies were created just doesn't... It's just strange when you think of how clear and the, the clarity in all the other beers. Um, I'd like to think hazies will still have a place. They'll certainly have one in my, uh, in my world, but anyone else, I'm not sure. <laughs> how much of that love do you think, or your keenness to keep it going, is the fact that you can control it? Um, and I say that because, let's say in, in three years' time, um, people in Brisbane are knocking down the door saying, heard all about Bojack beers, we want to get them up here. And you know what? You're famous for hazies. We want your hazies. You're then handing over that control a little bit. And look, maybe canning techniques and brewing techniques mean that you know, the haze doesn't drop out or you know, the cans aren't expanding um, at that time. But how much do you think that influences the fact that you can brew them here and, and pretty much serve them in the time frame that, that they're best at? I think, I think it has to influence. We're here for people of what they want to drink. If people are still wanting to drink hazies, you're still going to create them. There's people already asking in Sydney and Brisbane for our beers, whether that is in part of that five-year plan, I'm not sure. Um, COVID has certainly done a lot for us as far as push us in boundaries that we never anticipated. I don't think we even considered that we would be nationally sending beer um, and I think that was because more it was a worry for us of how it would get there uh, and in what condition it would get there um, so for us um, if people are wanting it and people are asking for it then I think that's what that's what we're there for we're there for people to be enjoy able to enjoy those beers so it's important for us to make sure that those styles are available plus a little bit of other things on the side and different different beer styles that maybe you could push them over to a little bit as well. But, um, yeah, if they want the hazy, we'll be creating the hazy. <laughs> and then um, you touched then on, uh, you know, the, I guess wanting to open a, a bar, that, a simpler version, if you like, that's, that's just the bar. How important, though, is, do you think, to the feel of the place and to people's appreciation of it that they can, well, not look through the window and see, but, you know, they can look into the shed and see, oh, that's where the beers come from. How important is it, do you think, that you're drinking at the source rather than drinking at a retail outlet? I think we're one of a few breweries that we don't have that viewing capacity um, you're not stuck in the middle but then saying that you can actually see the brewery from the men's toilets in the urinal uh, dare I say it um, but also I think we've got the ability to be able to heat this place um, cool this place so that's important for people's comfort and and their thoughts well we won't go to that another brewery or we won't go to another place because it's a warehouse and it's freezing cold um, so we've got that at least that against or on top of everybody else um, I think the importance of seeing the brewery is we don't you can't really see it from this one and we already know that it can be successful so the idea of being a little brew bar that still has our beers but maybe we change the food style or something similar um, 
that's exciting for us, I think. I don't think it needs the... You don't need uh, the fermenters yeah, and things yeah. in the background. I think most people don't really give a rat's... If I can see the brewery or not, they want to go there and have a beer. So and I must say, Dad, you don't strike me as the kind of guy who needs to sort of be on a pedestal and be, you know, seen through the window to to, to justify your art. <laughs> I don't want anyone seeing me what I'm doing. <laughs> we don't want to, you know, give away the company secrets and and all that sort of thing. So, where do you, where have you seen? Um, I guess in the 18 months that you've been open, what's the biggest surprise that um, that you've you can share about getting into the beer business? I think packaging beer. I don't think we ever anticipated that when you package beer and you distribute it to different bottle shops that it brings people to... We hoped that that would happen, um, but to actually see that come out um, and actually occur. Was the initial plan to be just literally a tap room where you'd just keg your beers or run them straight out of a a bright tank? Yeah, pretty much. We just thought we'd just sell all our beers um, here and a few kegs out to local bars and that. But um, we saw the rise of cans and how the sort of shift of uh, people's drinking habits now where they'd rather go to a bottle shop and get some cans and go home and drink on a Friday night. So we thought we'd uh, dip our toe in the water with the with a can, little canning machine and gave it, a, gave it a crack at the start and, yeah, it's really sort of taken off. So, uh, And, again, it really highlights, you know, how timing sometimes is, is everything. Um, when I think back, you know, and it's only maybe five, six years ago, um, where, you know, a, a decent, you know, medium-sized brewery that had just spent 150000 on a, a brand-new bottling line, you know, mm-hmm. just as cans started to take over. So sometimes, yeah, timing timing's everything. Plus, I think... With COVID hitting as well, timing is everything. Even though we obviously hit that for six months, but um, I, you know, I really feel for some of the breweries, even locally around here, that didn't have the ability to can and package, and suddenly they're told to close the doors and that's it, and all they've got is kegs. Bars obviously don't want kegs because they're closed. So I think that really got us through COVID as well. Um, being able to package. The shift was huge as far as we've got all these fermenters with all this beer. What are we going to do with it? Well, let's can beers that we wouldn't normally can. Um, so things like 3175, our Pilsner, um, that had never been canned. So we created a label for that and, uh, and yeah, went out on the shelves. So that was, that was a big learning step for us. And as I said, I, I felt really sorry for those that weren't in that position and couldn't benefit a little bit while that was all going on, especially with the unknown of how long COVID was going to go for. And how did, uh, just talk us through, you know, we talk about it's a family business. It's it's literally a family business, husband and wife, and only two other employees pre-COVID? Uh, we, we've got a cook, um, some bar staff, and we just had uh, Glenn, our sales guy, start just before COVID. So, yeah, it was five, five or six of us, yeah. And is the plan to, I guess, to, to go back to normal uh, as soon as you can, or um, was JobKeeper or JobSeeker or any of those sort of things any any use to you? JobKeeper was hard for us because it was trying to show... You had to show a reduction, and if we had redu- reduced in 18 months, there was obviously a, a huge issue. Um, so, yeah, that was a, a bit of a tricky one. We've managed to get JobKeeper for two of us, um, the sales guy and myself, and um, it's just a matter of... Yeah, just trying to balance it out at the moment. Um, we're hiring some bar staff. I guess when you're in this position of having your own business and being husband and wife with two young kids, um, it's hard to find that balance. And I think by starting to take a little bit of a step away, Dale was obviously working in the bar, I work in the bar. Um, we're sort of getting a little bit tired now because it's an eight-day-a-week job as far as we're concerned. So being able to have some staff and or additional staff in the bar will be a huge help for us just 
um, I think, as a family um, and, and just trying to grow in a different way instead of having to try and do everything yourself. Yeah, and it's probably worth you know, not understating that in that um, if you two were business partners only, um, male, female, whatever, but you go home to different families and, and you can kind of switch off. But I guess with you guys, it's, you, you're always... 24 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't stop. There's no break, really. No. So you go home, you're talking about it. So. And then you're getting Instagram messages and emails that if you don't answer them... <laughs> They'll probably get lost in everything. So at nine o'clock at night, you're replying, and um, you know you're taking bookings and things. And especially at the moment when you're trying to fit everyone in, it just it, it literally doesn't stop. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the other thing too is that you know when you start off, I guess Sue, you thought you you were the like the hospitality manager side of things, and Dale, you looked after the the brewing side of things. Was that how the delineation? Yeah, definitely. In theory, yeah. Um, what have you learned, I guess, since then? What are, what are the things that, what other hats have you had to wear that you didn't expect that you would have to? I don't know if it's whether I didn't expect or whether I just hadn't even put my head to that. that chose to ignore? Yes, perhaps chose to ignore. Um, or just had no idea. We'd never owned our own business before. Um, but there's obviously, we've got an accountant, but I try and minimise the amount that goes through. So I've got the invoicing hat and the debt collecting hat and... Um, you know, organising anything. Canning's not just the cans just rock up as they are. You know, you've got cans and lids and labels and design and barcodes and everything that go blurbs that go on the cans and the colours and um, and then you've got wages and stock and uh, just yeah, and the list just keeps going. <laughs> so, Dale, what do you think from your you know, your previous work life? What sort of skills do you think you've brought across here that have that have helped you? Probably this organisation skills because I was sort of like a project manager back in my old job so sort of brewing's pretty linear like that where you've got your steps and you follow it all through so I like a sort of schedule and following the steps through so I think that's sort of one one of the main things of a... And do you think too that that gives you, what I think is really important is that, which I think a lot of people miss because you, you tend to get very focused tunnel vision, having that ability to see the big picture, do you think that's helped you... Um, it, like I say, brewing is very lineal. You can't can before you've mashed in. You can't mash in before you've milled. Uh, you can't mill before you've you know done your orders and that sort of thing. But are you also, uh, I guess, thinking ahead to you know what's next, what what styles are emerging, how much time do I need to to brew a beer? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I sort of schedules normally. I know what I'm doing every day, sort of two months in advance. So the schedule scheduling back in the uh, construction days is sort of really transitioned across to the brewing. So with our stock, cleaning tanks, all that sort of stuff, like everything's sort of by the, by the day. So In brewing, are you less reliant on so many other trades, I guess? Oh, is, is it easier? That's the, that's the thing I, I love not having to deal with at all, at, at all now, is uh, dealing with tradies. So, uh, We're all held up because the plumbers on another job yeah. can't get here for a week. But at least, I guess here, the difference is that you can, you can buy all the cans, you can buy all the labels, and then you can store them. You don't have to, I guess, yeah, right. order them in when they're, when they're, when yeah, they're ready. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm the only one out in the brewery, so I can con- I'm controlling everything. If something doesn't work, it's my fault, so I can't blame anyone else. So, uh, so my next question is probably one for Sue, because at some point, Dale's going to have to cede control, of the, or he's going to have to share the brew house. What's that going to be like? <laughs> well, he certainly won't be sharing it with me, that's for sure. I don't think he trusts me to even clean the tanks, let alone uh, do anything else. Uh, 
I'm not sure. Uh, a lot of people have put their hands forward or put their hats in the ring to say, oh, I'd love to come and help, happy to get my hands dirty. Um, it's just not something on Dale's radar at the moment and it's something that Dale has to make that decision, I think, as to when or if that occurs. Um, maybe to get an apprentice or something like that that does, as I said, even if they were to do the dirty jobs, it's still not, you know, cleaning the tanks, it's still not on his list of what he wants them to do. So I'm not really sure what they'll be doing. Um, you must hope, though, that... You, the business will grow to the point where you've, you just can't do it on your own. Oh, it's definitely going to have to happen, but um, I got into this because I love brewing beer, so I'm, I'm jumping out of bed every morning to come do this, so if I've got to work hard, I'll just work harder for now, so um, we'll get to that point when it comes. <laughs> and so we haven't touched on your former life in law enforcement. Now, apart from obviously controlling the rowdies on a Saturday night, what has your background brought to Bojack Brewing that you think you couldn't have done without it? Um... Oh gosh, to have been in Victoria Police for 17 years and in the courts for the last five years, I guess, um, and you probably know from the, this actual uh, podcast, but I don't have uh, a shy to talk, um, so I don't have any problem with that. Um, it's great to be able to relate to people, maybe it's more my personality, um, but you know, I go out of my way to know about my customers, um, learning their names or what they like to drink or um, and things like that. So that I think that's important to have that. You have to have a um, you build a rapport in Big Pole, um, and that's important. I haven't had to deal with anyone rowdy as such here. Um, we're actually in a very good location, far enough away from. Um, some of the problems that may occur in Dandenong. Um, so I haven't had any of those problems, but um, I certainly have the skill set if I need it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that just the rapport building and being able to build relationships and things like that, you have to do that in VicPol. So um, that's certainly been one of the skills that I've been able to move across. Um, I'm an organised person. Um, I have lists for lists for lists. I don't think that's a big poll related, but again, it's probably just my personality. Um, but yeah, that, that would probably be about it. <laughs> well, I have to say, I'm pretty confident. I think, you know, just in the short time that I've had to chat to you guys, I think you both seem to complement each other beautifully. So I think uh, it, it's not like you're polar opposites, but I certainly think that you, uh, you, I doubt that you would step on each other's toes too much. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's certainly um, this uh, project, we'll call it the 18 months, has certainly been a learning curve as far as our marriage is concerned. A lot of people go, I don't know how you do it. And I sort of, and I'm sure Dale does, scratch his heads and goes, I don't know how we do it either. But at the moment, it works. Um, and maybe the more we sort of take a bit more of a step away and sort of enjoy a bit more family time, um, we'll make it easier. We both have ideas of how we want things to run and generally we're on the same path. It's just the way we get there um, that can be different or that cause the arguments in one way or another. Um, but yeah, we both, not we both want it to be successful, but we both want the look to be the same of something or the way we do things. It's the same thing. We just have different ways to get there, I think, is the only way I can sort of describe it. Yeah, I think that's called branding and, you know, yeah. yeah. Brand building. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think too, without putting too fine a point on it, I think uh, the fact that at the end of the day, no matter what happens, there's a beer waiting, I just honestly believe that solves a lot, a lot of problems. And yeah. on that note, Dale and Sue, thank you very much for joining us on Beer as a Conversation. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks, mate. Cheers. And that was Dale and Sue Messina from Bojack Brewing. Hope you enjoyed our chat. 
Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and our proud sponsors of Beer is a Conversation. Now, don't forget, if you like Radio Brews News, you can throw us a bone in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, you can drop a few shekels into the cup, or leave a one-off bag of cash, small unmarked bills if you wouldn't mind, Please, or you can review us and hit the like and subscribe and hit the bell and heart us, follow us, whatever you cool kids do nowadays to show your appreciation. Uh, details are in the show notes. You probably don't really read show notes, do you? Why do I bother?